All right, well, we are rolling through Acts, and uh, we are in chapter 13 tonight, Acts chapter 13. And uh, the, the really, the book of Acts begins to really shift and change tonight into a new direction. So I'm excited about getting to uh, dig into this with you. Let's pray together and we'll get started. Lord, we love you. Thanks for loving us. Lord, thank you so much for this study of Acts. Thanks for showing us, Lord, just what was so important to you and what really made the difference for the early church as they opened their hearts up to you, were obedient to you, and began to see the whole world flipped upside down for the glory of God alone, Lord. Thank you that the same God that led them to do that is the same God that's calling us to do the same. So, Lord, please help us, encourage us, teach us, and help us to want to do something about it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, like we have said so many times getting started, we are looking at the book of Acts with a purpose of seeing what the priorities were for God um, in those earliest days of the birth of the church so that we can see how we're lining up today with those things and the way that God was doing it and leading them to do it back there. See if there's some things we need to pull back on or go back to that would maybe help us to be as impactful as they were during their uh, time, all right? So last week, we saw in chapter 12, we saw an example of the power of prayer, okay? And when God's people got their asking aligned with the will of the Father. Do you remember Peter got put in prison? He was going to be executed. The church got together. They began to pray. They prayed according to God's will, but they were still surprised when God came through, right? But it was a great day when Peter got delivered out of jail. He was delivered from execution. And that was really kind of a, a, a whole bowl, bo boiling pot, if you will, of persecution that was going on. Herod was super excited that all the Jews liked him so much because he had, had, uh, had um, James killed. And uh, so he wanted to do, uh, he wanted to, do an encore with that. And so he thought Peter would do it. And so that was, there was a whole lot of opportunity for persecution that was kind of boiling up. But because of this thing that happened, um, the persecution began to cool down. And not just that, but, um, and we didn't get into this part of the last part of chapter 12, but the Bible says that after Herod didn't, when Peter escaped and they couldn't find him, he had all the guards killed. It said he went on a vacation, right? And he went to Caesarea on the coast there, and he hung out for a while, and he had this little encounter with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And uh, it was an opportunity. They were trying to make up for some things that they had done that really made Herod mad. And so Herod let them, and and the Bible says that the things that they were doing and they were saying to him, he, he heaped the praise on himself. He, 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 he took a lot of God's credit and took it for himself. And in the last part of Acts chapter 12, the Bible says that God was not happy about that. And God killed him, killed Herod dead. And, uh, and with Herod's death, the Bible, um, uh, allow, uh, the, the, the persecution that was going on, it ceased completely for a while. So, um, so 
we also talked about the fact that, um, that Barnabas and Saul and John, uh, John Mark had gone from Antioch to go down and to deliver, deliver the money for the, 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 the um, 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 forgetting the word, the, uh, there was a, a famine that was going to come, right? And those people in Antioch had said, hey, let's take up an offering and give it to the people down in Jerusalem. And Paul, you and Barnabas take it. So they took the offering down there and blessed the Jerusalem church. They gave the offering. Everybody was excited. And now Paul and Barnabas grab John Mark and they head back up to Antioch. And now we're in chapter 13, okay? And we're going to see what happens there. This, uh, these first uh, three verses... Uh, we're, what we're going to see is that there was a lot of diversity in the leadership that was in Antioch. But also in the midst of all that, God called some people to go. This is the sending of the very first missionary journey that was done by the church that God called out. And so let's look in Acts chapter 13. We'll start with verse 1. I'll read verse 1, 2, and 3 for you. It says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. There was Barnabas, Simeon, that was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now these were the key leaders in the Antioch church, okay? In verse 2 it says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting... The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on him and then they sent them off. Okay? So uh, I, what I did was I listed these five guys. These five guys were kind of the key leaders of the church in Antioch. You remember there were people that during the persecution, they went all the way up to Antioch, which was like over 300 miles to the north of Jerusalem. And they were sharing the gospel and Gentiles began to be saved. And the church in Jerusalem was like, what are we going to do about it? Let's send Barnabas to check it out. And so they sent Barnabas up to Antioch and he discipled them, and he said, this is way too much work for me. I need some help. He went and got Saul of Tarsus, and they spent a lot of time discipling this church of Jews and Gentiles all together in Antioch, in this place, right? And so, but there were leaders, right? God always calls out leaders, and it doesn't mean when somebody is a leader in the church, it doesn't mean that they're more important than somebody else. I think that sometimes we borrow things that happen at work, organizational strategies and organizational ways of thinking at work, and we bring them into the church. Listen, I am not any more important than Jim. Jim is so faithful. Every Sunday, he is on the soundboard either in that big honking room next door or over at Lee Summit or he's over in the youth building. Sometimes he's back there in this building. He is always doing what he does for the Lord and makes sound happen, all right? So let's first of all give it up for him, all right? He's an unsung hero, all right? Just like Travis and Alex back there that are very jealous that I'm talking about him and not them, all right? No, I'm teasing, all right? But... Here's the thing, 
I'm not more important in this church than Jim. And Jim's not more important than me. And whatever God has called you to do, it doesn't mean we're not more important because of a position. God calls and makes and readies people to do what he wants them and needs them to do, right? I hope that you don't think that I'm the smartest guy in the world. But I do hope that you think that God placed me in the seat that I'm in because he knows what we need, right? I'm not in this position because I'm the smartest person in the world. I'm just in this position because God, in all the way that he shaped me in my life, readied me for this, and I'm taking all that he is and all that he's shown me and all that I am and trying to do my best for you in it, right? Just like Jim is every Sunday back there pulling the bars and making us sound good and all those kinds of things, right? Leaders are not important. They're not more important than anybody else. They're just where God asks them to be. And the question is, are you where God asks you to be? You're not more or less because of the seat you're sitting in. You're more or less because you said yes to God. Right? So in this church, there were five people that God had raised up in leadership, right? And here they are. First of all was Barnabas. Now, Barnabas was a Jewish guy who was from Cyprus. Cyprus is where we're going to hear a little bit more about Cyprus in a little bit. I'll show you actually where it is. But it's an island in the middle of the Mediterranean Ocean. He's a Jew from an island in the middle of the, uh, the Mediterranean Sea, all right? And then along with him is Simon. Simon was a Jewish guy, but he was a black man, right? And he was also somebody that was very connected with Roman culture. He knew Roman culture. He knew the ins and outs of the Gentile culture, right? Then you've got another guy whose name is Lucius. He was from North Africa, all right? North, I mean, like, we'll, you'll see on the map how, but he was all the way from North Africa, and he's one of the leaders in Antioch. Next to him was Manaen, all right? He was a close, get this. This guy, the Bible says, was a close friend to Herod. Not the Herod that just died, but the Herod before that, the Herod that, that cut off John the Baptist's head. Manaen was his buddy. They were running buddies. He served under him willingly. And do you remember when Jesus was on trial and they were all making fun of him, right? Herod was making fun of him. Hey, do a trick for us. And disrespected Jesus. Manaim was his buddy, right? And what's so interesting is, is that Manaim saw all of that, but the Holy Spirit touched his heart and he gave his life to Jesus, where Herod experienced the same thing and he just pushed away from Jesus, right? Same guy saw the same thing, but didn't end up in the same place, right? But Manaim was, Manaim was 
was best buddies with the guy that chopped off John the Baptist's head and disrespected the Lord Jesus Christ. And now his life has changed in a new direction, and he's one of the leaders in this church. And then they're sitting there next to Saul, Saul of Tarsus. He was a rabbi-trained Jew. He knew it back. He was, he was a summa cum laude, all right, of Jewishness. And these five guys from different places, different backgrounds, different ethnic, all kinds of things coming together, and they were leading with excellence in the church in Antioch, all right? It wasn't an accident that that was happening. These who were diverse in their backgrounds became one in the Lord Jesus as they came together in Antioch. They became closer and closer to each other because they became closer and closer to the Lord. Don't miss that statement. These five leaders got closer and closer to each other because they got closer and closer to the Lord, right? And so um, their practice of fasting and praying together and worshiping together allowed them to lead together and hear from the Lord, okay? Now, I don't want you to miss this because what is true for these guys and what God called them to do in leadership is also true for your family. It's also true for your uh, life group. It's also true for your workplace. And here's what I mean by that. This is what happened with them. There were five leaders from different places all over the place, right? But Jesus was in the middle of it all, right? But look what happened. As they got closer and closer to Jesus, they also got closer and closer to each other. And they got so close to Jesus that they actually became one, right? Their unity was not because they figured out what they liked together or they had all these same things in common, all those kind of things. Their unity came because they got over themselves and got totally into the Lord Jesus. They got over what they wanted and got into what Jesus wanted. They got over what they had been taught and they got into what Jesus was teaching them. Does that make sense? Okay, so think about your family. Maybe your family looks like this. Mom's over here, dad's over here, kids over there, all over the place. Your job is not to go after your family. Your job is to go after Jesus, right? Because if you will make Jesus the center point of you, and as he works in them to make himself the center point of them, the closer everybody gets to Jesus, the closer, the, 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 the closer we will get to unity, right? You see, you know, I, I've seen a lot of families that are like that, right? 
and mama's trying to line everybody up. And I'm not talking about kids. I'm talking about adult children. Every time they get together, she's talking about, how come you don't ever go to church? Or how come you go to that church? Or how come you read that Bible? Or how come you this or that or the other? Listen, the, the, it, the target is what matters, right? Not everybody's going to listen to the same Jesus music. But Jesus can work through Jesus music of many different ways to get people to himself, right? Your family isn't going to come together because your kids do everything that you do. Your family's going to come together because everybody is getting closer and closer to Jesus. And then all the things that divide us, all the things that separate us, all the things that we could argue about, well, I like this, but he likes that, but she likes the other, those things like the old song, grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace and his presence, right? You see? Maybe at work, maybe your workplace looks like this. You know? I'm hearing a lot of guys that work over at Arrowhead talking about the Lord. And, 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 I, and I hear a lot of them talking about, I, I hear other, sometimes other workplaces. In fact, I know a guy who, his, he, he, um, he lost his job for TI in North Dallas. He was a project manager making a lot of money, and he lost his job with them. And he was really praying, Lord, what do you want me to do? And God put it on his heart to begin to work with CEOs of major organizations in North Dallas who didn't just want to make a bunch of money, but wanted their businesses to, in every way possible, reflect and honor and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And he started out with eight guys. And now he has like, I think he has about five groups of six to eight guys all over North Dallas. And they get together every week for the purpose of figuring out, yeah, we want to make money, but what are we going to do with that money? Yeah, we want to hire people, but what, we want to, what do we want to influence those people to do in the midst of what we do? And what's happening is these guys come, and they're all over the place in their backgrounds and those kind of things, but the closer those CEOs get to Jesus, they find unity in transforming their workplaces into marketplace ministries for the sake of the gospel, right? And so whether it's your family, whether it's your church, whether it's your job, whether it's your city, your nation, whatever else, the way we get from here to there is not by tolerating each other's differences, but by putting on fully the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And that's what was happening in Antioch with the leadership with it. That's why they were unified, because this wasn't about how different they were. 
It was about how same they were in their identity in Jesus Christ, right? So the Holy Spirit was all a part of all that, right? And, and I don't want you to miss, if you, as you read this chapter, you just see so many times that the Holy Spirit is referenced in, this, in, this, in, in what was going on in the church in Antioch. And the Holy Spirit is the one that helps us understand not only spiritual truth, right? But he also helps us to understand when and what the Lord wants us to do. You know, I, I, I know we have a good concept as Baptists about that the Holy Spirit helps us to understand God's word, Right? It's spiritually discerned. He helps us to understand God's word and what God's saying and what it means and how to apply it to our life. But that same Holy Spirit is at work in us to help us to know what to do and when to do things. And as we get sensitive to the Holy Spirit as we read the word, we're going to understand things about the word that we've never that 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 we could never understand in and of ourselves. But the same thing is true about should we go to the right or the left? Should we go here or should we go there? Should we take this job? Should we do this thing or not or whatever else? The Holy Spirit will give you peace. He will give you understanding. He will help you to know what to do. You can read your Bible all day long. It's not going to say, thou shalt take that job over at 7-Eleven. Right? But the Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you and give you discernment in the midst of that. Right? And he will take things, principles that he's taught you about the Lord in his word, and he will translate those into opportunities for you to go to the right or the left. Should we do this thing or that thing? Should we go here or go there? The Holy Spirit, we, we, we need, the, 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 the church at Antioch was desperately dependent on the Holy Spirit for all things. Right? And so, and, and we're always going to struggle to find the will of God if we attempt to use earthly means to accomplish spiritual, to answer spiritual questions. There are just a lot of people I, I've seen in Baptist church life, you know, I've served a lot of churches, and, and I've seen a lot of people that were made deacons of the church because they organized a great business downtown. I've seen a lot of of, of people that served on the finance team and were asked to serve on the finance team of the church because they were financial gurus and knew how to spend and make lots of money. And while those principles do help us at times, if you're trying to solve spiritual questions about spending apart from faith and apart from hearing from the Lord? Listen, I promise you that, you know, um, that, that Colin Powell would never 
have told the children of Israel to walk around seven days in a row and then the last day do seven times and then blow a trumpet and it's all going to come down. That's not in the war manual playbook, right? And so, so it's important to know those kind of things. And there were times where when the children of Israel were were taken over the land, that they used military movements to get the job done in those kind of things. But they didn't do it because the manual said so. They did it because God said so. Right? And the same is true with finances. The same is true with organizational strategies. Should we do this, that? Should we build this? Should we build that? Should we do this or that? Look, if you are only going to use human organizational principles to answer spiritual questions, you may not get where God wants you to go, right? And so we, we need to be, we need to know finance, but we need to know it less than we know the voice of the Holy Spirit, right? And we need to know organizational things and we need to know legal things as a church and we need to know demographic things and we need to know cultural things and we need to know all kinds of things but we better make sure that we know those a little bit less than we know the Holy Spirit and hear that voice are you with me right that's true for parenting that's true for marriage if you're getting all your clues for marriage out of the book that you buy at Barnes & Noble, hey, there's some helpful things in those books. But if you know that book, great, but you don't know the voice of the Holy Spirit, you may not end up where God wants you to be. The same is true with family. The same is true with your job, with career paths, all those kind of things. The people at Antioch were desperately dependent on the Holy Spirit. They heard from the Holy Spirit. And he was always faithful to help them to hear spiritual answers to spiritual questions that were in play, right? What did Jesus say? Jesus was about to be taken from this earth. He had walked with the disciples. They had, he had taught them everything that he knew about the Father. He had shown them the Father because he was God in a bod, right? He showed them what God, the way God would do it. And then that night before he is about to be betrayed and then crucified and then 40 days later be taken up into heaven, what did he say to the disciples in John 14? He said, hey, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. And I'm going to ask the Father, and I am going to give you another counselor that's going to be with you forever. I'm not going to be with you forever, but I'm going to send you a counselor that will be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world can't accept him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you're going to know him because he's going to live in you, he's going to live with you, and he's going to live in you you and then down toward the bottom of that passage he says he says i'm not going to leave you as orphans i'm going to come to you 
All this I've spoken, Jesus said, while I'm with you, while I'm in the bod with you, right? But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, who the Father is going to send in my name, will teach you all things. He will remind you of everything that I have said to you. Peace I live with you. Peace I give to you. I don't give like the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be afraid. All of that, he was talking, well, Jesus, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? The Father's going to send the counselor. I'm not here for a long time, but he is here forever. I'm not going to leave you like an orphan. Don't keep looking for me. Look for the Holy Spirit. Because he's going to remind you of all the stuff I taught you. Right? Because he's God the Spirit who's teaching and reminding us what God the Son said, who taught us what God the Father is, the blessed three-in-one, right? So like, man, the, the church at Antioch was amazingly fruitful and powerful, not because they were organized, but because the Holy Spirit, they were desperately dependent on the Holy Spirit. And the same is true for us, right? And in the midst of all that, the Holy Spirit says, hey, I want you to set aside Barnabas and Saul for a work to which I have called them. When's the last time you were in a prayer meeting and the Lord called you out to something? doesn't happen every day it doesn't happen all the time god decides when he's going to call to do what or whatever else but so i'm not saying that but what i am saying is when's the last time that god said to you in the midst of your morning devotion hey today i got something i need you to do in the midst of a sermon at the end Maybe the invitation is being given. And all of a sudden in your heart, the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart. And it, when, if and when it happens to you, you will know. I've had a few times in my life when it happened. The, the, the time that I remember best was when I was a little sixth grade going into seventh grade. And I was at missions camp that week, RA camp, and we had been doing all stuff all week long, little RA towhead boys do or whatever else. And it was the last day, and the missionary was sharing about his call that God had put on his life and his, what he had gone over. I think he went to Africa, and he showed us he was dressed in his garb and had all of his African stuff that he had brought over, whatever else. And I don't remember much about all that, but I do know that I remember he said these words, God is going to call some of you to serve him full time, vocationally. And when he does, don't be afraid. Just say, here I am, send me. And trust God and he'll lead you. And as a dumb little kid that hardly listened to anybody or whatever else, I heard the Holy Spirit as if louder than if he had been with a megaphone in my ear saying, you are one of those. And I knew it was him because before that, all I ever wanted to be was a marine biologist. 
But from that day forward, I never thought about being a marine biologist again because I knew my destiny was something different. Not because I wanted it, but because God wanted it for me, because he spoke, right? And I understood that just as clearly as I understood, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The same spirit that resonated John 3.16 resonated, this is what I want you to do, Jeff, right? And that's what happened that day for Paul and for Barnabas, Saul and Barnabas, right? They're in a prayer meeting and God says, Barnabas, Saul, set them aside. I've got something I want them to do. And that leads us to the very first missionary journey, all right? We're going to talk about part one of that tonight, and then we'll finish up with part two of it, which happens in Acts 14 uh, next week. We're not going to go through a lot of it, uh, of the whole chapter, but, um, but I do want to show you the map that, um, that is in play. Is this a little... All right. Um, so, the, the, if you'll notice, right? This doesn't, doesn't have a Z. Okay. You'll notice right here above my hand, you'll see where we got um, Judea right here. And if you go up the coast, there's Phoenicia. And then you see where the blue line starts right there. That blue line is the first part of the journey. That's where they went. They started in Antioch, and they went over to the coast and caught a boat. And guess where they went to first? The island of Cyprus. Who was from Cyprus? Barnabas. All right. I, I, God told me to say this to somebody here. And I don't, and again, I'm just saying it because I, I remember weird things at weird times and I know they're for God reasons. I remember when I was at seminary and I was finishing up, I was in my last semester, had no idea where I was going to go serve. I had left a church to go finish up seminary. Me and Lisa finished up. She had a baby. We need a job, all those kind of things. And like, we're just praying. And I said, Lord, I will go anywhere. I'll even go to the far land of Alabama if you want me to, okay? <laughs> right? And, and, and so I had interviewed with some churches in Alabama, all across they had come to Southwestern Seminary and, and interviewing those kind of things. And man, but God just was never on any of that. And I remember going to my boss, I worked down the print shop of the seminary, and I said, Phil, I just, I, I said, you know, I've got this one church that really wants me, but it's in a church that I've already served before. I feel like I'm just like, like, like being lazy, right? There's a whole world and God's sending me back to Lockhart, Texas. What's up with that? And Phil, who had run the print press for years and years and was a godly man, he just said, Jim, I'm going to tell you the truth. More times than not around here, I've seen God send his men and women back to the places that they came from than him sending them on the other side of the world. He said, because you already know the culture, you already know the people, and you already have the relationships, and now you can take the things that God has taught you and you can pour those into the relationships that you already have. 
And I don't know if there's somebody here that's thinking about, man, you know, I'm, I'm willing to do this big, big thing or whatever else. Maybe God's calling you to start right where you are. Maybe you're praying about going some more way out there. God wants you to just go across the street or maybe across the table, you know? But Barnabas, his first place to get to go was where he had been from, right? So let me read a little bit of that real quick and then uh, just the first part of chapter, um, uh, uh, starting with verse four. It says, so... After they were set aside by the church, the Bible says that uh, they were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to Seleucia, and then they sailed across to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John Mark to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island, see Cyprus there? They went all the way across to the other side of the island, telling people about Jesus. They got as far as Paphos. They came upon this magician a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul, and he wanted to hear about the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, which was the, the Bar-Jesus, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at Bar-Jesus and said, You son of the devil, the enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? So now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you. You're going to be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. The proconsul believed, and then everything that um, uh, believed when he saw everything that had occurred, and he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Okay, here's what happens right there. Okay, Barnabas and Saul they travel by ship over to Cyprus, and they walk all the way to the other side of the island, proclaiming the word of the Lord. By the way, this missionary journey, this first missionary journey which was mostly done by walking. When they weren't in a boat, they were walking. Guess how many miles the whole missionary journey was? Miles. Over 1,200 miles. Right? That's like walking to Denver and back. Is about the same distance that this first missionary journey was, okay? They were, they, they were accompanied by young John Mark, that they had brought back from Jerusalem. Remember all the, where the prayer meeting was, where they were praying for Peter to get out? That was at John Mark's house. So they brought John Mark with them to Antioch and then took them on this missionary journey with them, and he assisted them. They began, they would always go to synagogues first, and then they would spread the message out to the Gentiles in that community. That's what, that, that was the plan that God gave them. And all their missionary journeys, they did the same thing in that way, all right? They traveled to Paphos on the other side of, the, uh, of Cyprus, which was the Roman capital of that island. And they were able to minister to uh, Sergius Paulus, the proconsul of the island. The proconsul was the Roman governor in charge of the whole thing. He was the biggest cheese on the whole island, all right? 
Now, this guy's name was Bar-Jesus, which means son of Jesus, all right? Now, Jesus was a very common name, all right? It was a very common name back then, all right? So he was, his daddy's name was Jesus too, and his name was Bar-Jesus. When the man named son of Jesus opposed Paul, he was declared a son of the devil, all right? Paul was a little play on words right there. Your name means son of Jesus, but you're really acting like a son of the devil, right? And here's what the Lord's going to do about it. And he, he blinded, Paul blinded uh, through the Holy Spirit. He was blinded. That was Paul's first miracle that he had performed, right? And uh, this event led to the proconsul. When the proconsul saw all this going on, he was like, man, this Jesus is real. I want some of that. And he became a believer in the Lord Jesus. And all of that, they were desperately dependent on the Holy Spirit. Where to go, what to say, who to blind, and who to tell about Jesus. And the Holy Spirit leads them to be able to witness to the, the, the most powerful person on the whole island, right? Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine, desperate for the Holy Spirit to show up, right? All right, as you go on through the rest of the chapter, and we're, we're just going to make this real quick. I'm not going to read it for you, but after, there are a couple of things that happen right here, and then we'll pick up with this next week about as they go to the next place that they go. But there's a couple of things that happen that you'll notice here. First of all, after Cyprus, Saul isn't called Saul anymore. He's called Paul, all right? So he gets, his name changes from the island. After this, after this uh, during this missionary journey, after this initial thing that happens through the Holy Spirit at Cyprus, Saul is never called Saul anymore. He's called Paul. Another thing that you'll notice in the scriptures is after Cyprus, Barnabas and Saul is the way that they were known, right? They were always known as Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul. But after Cyprus, except for one time in the Bible, I believe, it's always Paul and Barnabas. There's a shift that changes in the leadership, a shift that changes in, you know, Barnabas was a big part of getting Paul Saul started right. He was a big person who he invited him into Antioch. He invited him in to meet and know the disciples, right? Barnabas, man, this rock star Paul wouldn't even be anything if it wasn't for Barnabas, right? But you never hear Barnabas gripe or complain, right? And it's a reminder to me that sometimes the Lord leads you to lead people and lead things that become way bigger than you are. Including your kids. Including your wife, guys, sometimes. Sometimes the thing that God's calling them to do is bigger than the thing he's calling you to do. Are you all right with that? 
Or do you have to be in charge? Do you have to be the one that's getting the glory, right? Some people like to be the one who has to be number one, right? But the Lord calls them to a greater thing, all right? Uh, Another thing that happens after Cyprus is that the missionary journey continues for Paul and Barnabas, but guess who goes home? John Mark. We don't know why. Maybe he got ticked off because Barnabas wasn't getting the credit. I'm going back home. Maybe he got homesick. We don't really know. But John Mark said, I got to go back home. And he didn't continue with him. And, and then it goes on, and as, it, as we get to verse 16, uh, we see an example of the preaching that went on in that. So I'd encourage you to read that uh, before we get to next thing. Next week, we'll talk about what happened in the next city where they went to, where they faced some persecution. It was really tough and those kind of things. And again, just real quickly on these, you know, uh, a couple of these things that I want you to make sure and think about as we go into the week is that first question, what binds you together with other believers? Why are you apart and stay apart of your life group? What binds you together with your family? What binds you together with your friends? Is it all the stuff you have in common? Or is it because you worship and you pray and you fast and you're becoming more and more like Jesus and you're getting closer and closer together, right? You know, maybe a priority of prayer and fasting with others is uh, in, in seeking after the Lord is the key for churches that are multi-generational or multicultural to come together. Because if we make it about age and we make it about the music and we make it about what we like and the song, the version of the Bible, all those kind of things, we're just going to stay, we'll be in the same room but we won't be one in the spirit and one in the Lord, right? And then that second one, how desperate are you for the Holy Spirit to help you understand truth? How desperate are you for the Holy Spirit to lead you in what to do and when to do things and empower you as you live your life, all right? We'll pick it up from there next week. Let me leave this in order of prayer. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for loving us. Thank you so much for this calling that we see you pull out of Paul and Barnabas, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, that, that I know that you are still calling. You're calling us to take up and, and do things, Lord. Maybe it's not to go to Cyprus. Maybe it's to go work with the preschoolers. Maybe it's not to go preach a big sermon somewhere. Maybe it's to go hand out food at Hope Network. Lord, I just pray that we will be desperate to hear from you and faithful when you say, I'm sending you aside to do this, us to be like Mary and say, let it be as you have said for your servant. Lord, we love you. Lord, help us to just realize that apart from you, we can do nothing. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.